This is an ABC podcast. This podcast contains offensive language and other cool stuff. The following work is a gross abuse of copyright. Names, places and events have been unchanged. I've done, done this with, with the firm belief that, that a king's story is more, is more important than the, than the literary regulations I formed. Todd Noy, Sao Paulo, 1991. This is Finding Drago. I'm Alexi Toliopoulos, and in the previous round of Finding Drago, we thought we'd been knocked out and the bell had rung. But David has extended a hand, and like Rocky Balboa himself declared, if I can change, and you can change, everybody can change. And now together, on mountains, we stand. Cameron, we're back in the studio weeks later. Mm-hmm. I am coming to you with the news. Okay. That's not the end. <laughs> that's all I can say is that's not the end of the show. Just tell me what tell me what this is. I'm so I okay. feel so anxious. In the weeks that we finished that interview, I played my little Machiavellian game, if you will. Well, I mean, honestly, David's kept on trying to continue the discussion with me Mm -hmm. the game with me but how can i continue the game when for me the game is over Mm -hmm. i've said everything i can't believe it anymore Mm -hmm. so i went cold and then david sent me this cryptic message to unmask the masked magician is quite a feat i admire and respect you both (laughs) maybe it's not as it's not that cryptic (laughs) (laughs) he's kind of all but saying it He's been listening to the podcast that's been coming out. I think that what he wanted was to finally tell the the truth. Really? Yes. He's willing to do that? Yes. He's willing to go on the record. So, what does that mean for us? We're finding Drago. David, thank you for joining us once again on Finding Drago. To begin things off, we're going to ask one question. Proceed. Are you Todd Noy? There are many ways of answering this question, but I think the cleanest is a one-word answer, and that answer is yes. Yes! 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 (laughs) Yes! You admitted it! This is a victory as pure as Rocky's over Ivan Drago. Oh, gosh. An uncontested victory for us right now. I feel the wall is falling down. The wall is falling down. Much like Ivan Drago, I didn't want to go down. I felt as though the prowess of the investigative force of the ABC (laughs) had me like a raton trapped in a corner, (laughs) desperately looking for all angles out, and I'm going out with my head high and... I surrender. This is the way to go out. And it's not surrender. It's just it's just looking forward to another day. It's victory for you as well. It's a victory. This is exciting. So we We're- have so many questions for you, David. I guess the first one is why the fuck <laughs> did you do this? 
<laughs> well, oh. it's a story that begins in about 2011, 2012. Oh my gosh, this is almost a decade-long story now. <laughs> and uh, it begins with Tyson. Iron Mike Tyson. What? Mike Tyson, the famous boxer? What? The baddest man in the world, Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah. So... My friend Stephen Penn and I were travelling in India, Rajasthan. On the airport on the way there, I'd purchased a brown notepad. And it said on the notepad, as used by Ernest Hemingway. Hmm. Um, So I bought it. Uh, It was false advertising because the notepad was completely empty. (laughs) But we were in India and we were travelling around, all the usual things, seeing the sights, seeing the temples. And... um, as part of this trip, we got chatting about films that meant a lot to us as, as kids. And I remember just making a point to, to, to Steve Penn, like, even though Ivan Drago lost to Rocky in Rocky Four, he was still a tremendous fighter. And then this idea just came to me, wait a minute, I've got this, I've got this notebook. I need to put it to some use. And I, I said to Steve, I'm writing it. I'm going to write Ivan Drago's after story. Whoa. You're going to help. And, uh, and and that's where the story begins, really. Um, I'm not sure if I ever had any intention to do anything with it, but as I started populating the pages, I was like, oh, I'm enjoying this. And then the, there was sort of an inner circle of friends who I thought they would absolutely love if without without sort of priming them for it, to drop this book on their desks or in their post boxes. Um, <laughs> and then over the period of some time to say, oh, by the way, that book, that was me. Uh, I thought that would be wow. that would be cool. So you started the mystery like as an actual mystery just for you and your buddies around you? Well, it, the, the, the mystery element was never even as especially strong. I can't massively remember the creation of, of Noi and the Noi backstory. I thought... If you're going to write a book about about the Rocky movies, it cannot be written as a contemporary thing looking backwards. It, I, I think it had to be written as though it was a lost artifact of the late 90s mm. from mm. an enigmatic writer because it, it just wouldn't, it didn't feel the same to me if I just wrote it as me and gave it to my friends. Yeah. So that was sort of where, where I was thinking with it. Sort of, oh, well, write this book, print off the lowest number of copies I could possibly get. How many copies um, did you print? Well, initially, the initial run was 30 copies, and it was from a, a company that made sort of like corporate calendars and things like that. <laughs> like um, brochures? Well, I say it was. They remain my publishers to this day. They are the house of noise. Uh, <laughs> uh, although, although I've been trying to call them this last week, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that they've gone bust because they're not answering emails or calls. I've got orders coming through the roof. There must so, be a high demand these days that, that, that there, this calendar company can't account for there right is. now. So, so um, none of the mythology around Noi existed at this point. It merely was just a just a sort of subtext to to a pseudonym. Where did the name Todd Noi come from? Well, if you ask Twitter, there are some incredibly excellent mathematical theories about how such a name There's could have been calculated. Are. I've been a lot of people have been tweeting at us with some of their theories of 
where the name came from, how it's a, a combination of other Dolph Lundgren movie titles. And- one of them that one of our listeners sent us mm. was the one that almost convinced me that the story was going another way that I expected was there was a guy in Perth called Tony Dodd, which is Todd Noy, and he found his like LinkedIn, he found a website that this guy had, and he he was around the same age as Todd Noy, yeah. and I was like, maybe this is real and we've been on the wrong path this whole time. I'd love to say it was one of the Twitter theories, but I, I, it was genuinely a case of just driving along in my car one day and <laughs> a part of my brain that doesn't usually spout anything just spouted these two words, Todd Noy, and it made me chuckle a bit. And I thought, <laughs> fuck, that's quite a funny little name. I'm, that's the guy. And I never even questioned it. I thought, yeah, Todd Noy's written this book. It sounds like a cool name. He's Australian. That, that again, that was sort of an instant... Um, that was an instant decision, I, was the Australianness. Some things, they just fall out and they kind of just come from nowhere in particular. It's quite unbecoming to, to savour your own work, but I do because I, do, I don't fully identify it as my own. It sort of just came out of moments of just, be, just being lost in a kind of basically a humorous sort of trance just chuckling away at all these words that basically sound funny and I, and I felt like Todd Noy just sounded funny Quince Noy sounded even funnier than that and Marlon Noy was a nice middle ground well you're bang on there how does Mike Tyson come into play oh yeah so we come back from India excellent trip and I had this notebook and I started typing it up and it's around this point that a few inner circle members um chap called Matt Reynolds that used to work for me and and Stephen Penn. They kind of helped me structure it to a point where I thought it was ready. Now, it's all well and good having a ready book uh, for your friends, but I felt like to get it over the hurdle and give it a real purpose, it, it needed somebody to be Todd Noy. Now, to my mind, Todd Noy was, well, ideally Dolph Lundgren, but the, the, the guy that was in reach Mike Tyson, I thought, we can frame Iron Mike so that he becomes Todd Noy. How are Especially you planning to do this? This sounds like I'm making it up, and I understand I've made a lot of stuff up, so you might not believe it. Mike Tyson has got a best friend that is from the same town that I grew up in and was living in at the time, Barnsley. And every so often, to do this guy a solid, Mike Tyson comes to town and does a bit of a meet and greet. Now, the reason for this is Mike Tyson is really big into, it's called pigeon fancying. And pigeon fancying is keeping pigeons as pets. And you fly them around like homing pigeons. They always know where to come back to. That is true. Sounds crazy, but... Really? Yeah. He's obsessive pigeons. He even has like a adult swim cartoon where he voices a pigeon. Oh my God. Of all the things we've heard, that is the weirdest part of the story. That's the most insane thing I've ever heard. And it's true. And it's It's the one that we could clearly say is the most true thing (laughs) in this podcast so far. And it's true. So if you fancy pigeons, you fancy Barnsley. So he came to my town. I and Mike Tyson came to the Barnsley Metrodome. So I'm speaking to Penn and I said, listen, this book, whilst I would like to make it longer, I need to finish it quick because Tyson's coming to town. I'm going to make a proposition that's like, (laughs) I and Mike, my name's David, and um, I've written this book for you. I believe that people will believe that you have wrote it and I think you shouldn't deny it. Was essentially this. <laughs> so, did you get the book in Mike's hands? I, I did. Wow. It, it was something of a botched delivery. I took two copies 
one that I had under my T-shirt and one a bit like Mel Gibson used to do in Lethal Weapon within the ankle. Like I rolled around the back of my ankle under the sock uh, just in case anything went wrong. We'd seen Mike do his his presentation and then uh, we'd got in the queue. For some reason that I, I don't really know why I did it, I took the book out ready to give it to him. And one of his uh, henchmen told me that I couldn't give him the book. So I thought, well, it's all right. Little does he know I've got my Gibson on <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. my, my ankle. <laughs> yeah. So as I approach, I, I go down onto the knee. I take out my spare copy of Drago. It's still got the message in it to Mike. Um, but as I do so, he, the, the, his henchmen and the other henchmen come round and start crowding me to take this book off. I'm like, oi. Mike, come here. It's taken me ages, this. Mike comes over to see what the fuss is about. He gives both men a bit of a nod and says it's all right, and he gets his book. Wow. I thought, my work's done. That's the end of the project. We now just wait for Mike to come back. We'll brief him on all what we want to do with this marvellous work. Oh, my God. But he never David. responded. <laughs> of course. But that wasn't the end. You put it on Facebook? Well, yeah, this is the weird thing, really. So there was never any intention for for the book to to go anywhere. You know, there wasn't a trajectory or a path or a plan or anything like that. There were 30 books. Now, I've not got 30 friends, um, so on, there's a few left. <laughs> there's a few left over after I've given, given them around to the people that yeah. mattered. One of which was Stephen Tomlin's, who I shall mention in a minute. And then just over a bit of time, I started just getting these random messages from not just people that I didn't know, but from from countries that I'd never even been to, coming to this um, on Mountains We Stand Facebook page, and they're saying, "Is this book real? Where do I get a copy from?" So I thought, oh, it feels like people want to read this book. So I rang up my the publishing house, um, <laughs> known for great works as 2015, oh. 1987. And you all know the, what one I didn't the like of theirs was um, 2016. I really did not like that one. Oh, yeah. In poor Awful. taste. That was in really <laughs> bad taste. So you got more books printed to send out. Uh, yeah, I, got, I thought, well, another 30. What harm would another 30 books do? How are these people discovering the Facebook page? Have you, at this point, put your line about On Mountains We Stand on Wikipedia? I can't remember when or who put that line on Wikipedia. I assume it was me, but I can't remember doing it. Do you know how long it was up there for? It was up for a good while. It kind of just floated along there. Nobody noticed. It, It was up there long enough that I'd sort of accepted it as part of the narrative. (laughs) <laughs> and I wasn't the only person that accepted it because then over time, sort of quite lazy journalists, sorry, Chris Chavez, but... Everybody loves Chris Chavez. <laughs> people from quite reputable <laughs> publications started publishing stories about Ivan Drago that included cross-references to to the book, Shortlist Magazine, which has, has won the giveaway for free on the tube. And there was a bit about Ivan Drago and it quoted the 1989 classic on Mountains We Stand. I was thinking like, oh, geez, holy smokes, this this has sort of become real. Yeah, that's so strange because that's when it became real for me because that's where I stumbled across this whole mystery in the first place mm. was that one line on Wikipedia just drew me in. And now it feels like such a chance encounter because it was up there for such a short time, but it led to me finding the book 
and talking about it with Cameron on the Blank Slate Movie Podcast, <laughs> which is where you found out about us. Yeah, what was that like for you, hearing us discuss your book on the Blank Slate Movie Podcast all those years ago? Well, perhaps you can imagine that, to my mind, I'd written this book that I was probably equally ashamed and equally proud of in exact the same proportions <laughs> and my friends had read it and we'd had a good old laugh about it uh, and then there was a very small contingent of people over the world that were ordering this book and I kind of thought wow that is as far as this project will ever go and it's amazing I'm so happy about it and then I started to get a few um, requests from Australia and thought this is odd so I started doing a bit of googling and it didn't take long before I, I came across this podcast. Mm, just like me you're an expert googler it appears. <laughs> oh I know all the tricks. So I, 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 this, this I do remember very well I was in my living room this is still in Barnsley and my girlfriend was upstairs and I shouted her down like Colin come down there's a podcast all about our mountains we stand um, <laughs> and we start listening to it and uh, I was quite anxious because I, I, my natural assumption was the only take regarding this book was one of pure and adulterated ridicule. So I thought, oh, no. <laughs> uh, but actually, actually, I just I loved the humor of it all. And I loved how you just brought it to life and um, celebrated it in, and, and, and gave it a, a, a nice roasting as well. And uh, I, I absolutely loved the podcast. And I was chatting with my little inner circle, mainly uh, Steve Penn and Matt Reynolds, saying, wow, have you heard this? This is amazing. This project can't get any better. I felt, I felt really happy about that. And it gave me a new lease of life. And then I spent quite a long time thinking, how do I respond to this? Oh, God, yeah. How the hell was that process for you? Because not long after that podcast went up was when we started getting inundated with all those comments. Pure coincidence. No, that was exactly how I decided to respond. <laughs> for quite a while, I, I sat on it and I thought, how do I do it? Do I send them something physical? Mm. Um, do I just leave it? Or... Do I think of as many people as I know and sort of just ask them if they would submit some uh, messages that would help things along? Now, th th this whole Noi mythology, I, I think that actually came later because this review from uh, R. Swift, Robert Swift, that caught me by surprise. Uh, on Goodreads, there are sort of there are over eight reviews. And over seven of those are completely real, <laughs> except one, which is the one from Robert Swift. So, Robert is a friend of yours that wrote the review? I want to go as far as to say he was a, a friend at that point. We were acquaintances. Uh, so, he's my sister's husband's sister's husband's best friend. <sighs> so, I'm his best friend's <laughs> wife's brother's wife's brother. Yeah, right, um, right. So we were kind of in each other's radar and, and then at my sister's wedding I told him all about On Mountains We Stand and I'd been getting these orders and he seemed to like that idea and then it was only later that he posted on Goodreads this review that was like shit this is absolutely crazy uh, and then <laughs> it wasn't in any way pre-arranged or... so I have to credit Robert Swift I call him Bo that's uh, but I have to credit Bo with um, latching into this Noi mythology. Wow. <laughs> I, I just thought, well, it's not going to be by me. 
um, it's it's better to come from Todd Noy and Todd Noy's Australian. Todd Noy's written all these other great works. That's where I left it, and I didn't give it a second thought. <laughs> then I read about the myth- mythical land of Chala, and it's this this timeless <laughs> landscape where books were getting traded, and I, and and that awakened a little creative bit inside me that was like, oh, Todd Noy is more than what I'd first thought. <laughs> and that's when I started saying to my friends, like, oh, maybe you could say there's a charcoal drawing of him that's circulating out there. <laughs> some, of, some of the messages, um, I just said, maybe you could say this, but others, they were straight up people that, that I actually wish had wrote, written uh, as Todd Noy, cause like the one about the respiratory ailments. That was my friend Michael Davy. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing, that one. That's one of my favourites. <laughs> Yeah, that um, that was such an odd thing for us because we're like, this is crazy, and we just chose to ignore it because it made us scared. Well, <laughs> it felt like we'd been found. Well, I think probably that was the very smart move from you guys because imagine how that left me feeling. Uh, <laughs> empty, alone, sat in my house, uh, thinking, like, wait a, wait a minute, this is the most overt peacocking I've done as Todd Noy in, in, in the sh- <laughs> short history that I've been Noy. And and there has been zero response. Um, so I thought, well, fuck, I'm going to have to write Swarmer. Uh, <laughs> when did Swarmer come about? How does Swarmer even exist? I can't remember how long it was from when we first made contact to um, to when we had our uh, discussion, Alexi, on the, on the, on the Skype. Um, this was all in my thoughts that I really needed to get a book going so that I could, I could sort of play a return to your serve effectively. Um, and it was only when Steve Penn just said, chuckled about the fact that Clubber Lang was a swarmer. And then I thought, what a word, swarmer, it just sounds, it's got everything to me. That's a book title and I'm going to go home and I'm going to write it. And then the pressure was on because I thought, I need to get this book together. It's got to be like Drago. It's got to be, there's got to be something that ties them together, but it also has to be completely different so I can kind of uh, do Todd Noy justice as this incredibly <laughs> versatile writer. When Alexi revealed to me that he'd received Swarmer in the mail, um, obviously I was absolutely shocked. I did not think this book existed. I read it and then I said to Alexi, I think this book was written for you. I think you are the only person who has a physical copy of Swarmer. Is that true? I think it's true to say that Swarmer would not have been written if it was not for you guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, you are to Swarmer what Mike Tyson was to Drago. Oh, my gosh. I knew it. And then, But the really interesting thing is, Swarmer was kind of a bit stalled. I liked the idea of writing a book set in Mexico. There was some stuff in there that was kind of working. And unwittingly, Alexi was my first drafting partner because it was the whole idea that Swarmer was about the writing of the Alabaster Wars. That came out as a reflex defense to one of Alexi's questions in our interview. (laughs) So I was actually unwittingly writing Swarmer while we were doing the interview out of 
reflexive answers to his questions. <laughs> he just asked me which books were written in which order, and I didn't know. Um, so I kind of, in a panic, just fumbled out, oh, uh, Swarm is about the right of the Alabaster Wars. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the one of the weirdest twists in the journey is that you actually did write Swarmer not just for me but based on my questions in an interview. Oh, that is... Perfect, and what a great way to respond to us as well. I have to credit Robert Swift. I think where Bo really, really sort of shines in in this story is I'd hit a bit of a writer's block on Swarmer where I I felt like I had the makings of a great concept and a great story, but I didn't know where to take it. So I asked Bo if he'd be interested in a short writing competition where him and his friend would be required to submit one chapter (laughs) of a book called Swarmer, whichever one won would make its way into the master draft. <laughs> so herein lies the, the the roots of a real collaboration where um, <laughs> Bo entered this chapter into Swarmer and not only did, I didn't take it word for word, but not not only did it have some cracking one-liners, it painted a path to the end of Swarmer and, and I was like, that's the one. He's, he's, he's taken the writer's block and he's built a bridge over it so now I can sail on through to the end and from that point on we became real literary collaborators as well as sort of virtual reality startup moguls <laughs> i'm very proud about swarmer to me swarmer's a there's a lot in swarmer about pain and sort of suffering and um and there's a lot about the the, the noy legacy that relates to this um medieval ailment gout well um i am a bona fide champion of this ailment. I've had it since I was about 18, a complete genetic freak of it. It's not through any of my own choices. I'm not a drinker of ports. I like cheese, but I like to think I eat it in moderation. But for my entire life, I've been plagued with this disease, if that's the word for it, that just takes a hold of your joints. And it's like these kind of spinning fragments of glass spinning around in the, in the joint. And um, I'm going to capture within the writing of Swarmer, uh, my personal experience of what it's like when you're just trapped in this kind of gouty fever where you can't get about and you just want it to pass and it does all kind of crazy things in inside your head. You've used Todd Noy as a, as a vessel to write about your own pain yeah. and experiences? Yeah, definitely. I think this is a good time for me to just mention Stephen Tomlins, who is... He's a dedication uh, on the Drago book. Yep. He is the boy standing tall. Mm. He is the boy standing tall. Steve Tomlins is a friend of mine who I've known for a long time, more than 10 years. And I'm a godfather to his his, his son and he's a great guy. And we've always had lots of good things to chat about. And one thing that we've got in common is this shared passion for the Rocky movies. And Steve Tomlins told me that the first time he ever went to the cinema on his own was with a guy called Keith Holmes. And he said that, He's never met Keith Holmes as, a, as an adult. He's just somebody in his past, but he'll never forget him because he remembers them both going in to watch Rocky Four and then coming out of the cinema and he was jabbing Keith Holmes in the arm as hard as he could. And he said it was just this memory that was so vivid in his mind. And I always just remembered this story. Of, so I thought, that's one person that's going to enjoy this book landing on their doorstep completely out of the blue. And then they open page one, and it's got their name on it. Wow. And it relates back to the, one of their very personal childhood memories. Oh, that's pretty sweet. 
I'll tell you what I like about all this stuff. It's that uh, you sort of started this as an in-joke with little references to your own friends. There was 30 copies. And then all of a sudden you've got people actually ordering it online. And then on top of that, you've got Alexi not only ordering the copy, but excitedly talking to you about the mythology of Todd Noy and bringing it up. This just naturally grew into what it's become. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't a plan at all. Um, and it was just a total organic evolution of a fun idea that just, it never stopped, it never stopped being enjoyable. That's so good. Was there coordination between you and Swift before we spoke to either of you? Um, that's a great question because throughout this whole process, and what I've really enjoyed about it, and I'm talking back years, there's always been this kind of underlying um, paranoia is the best word of like, what do these guys know? What do they want to know? What do they need to know? And how much of what they're doing to me is in the interests of, of Todd Noy rather than to the ridicule of, of, of me. And so I was always like super paranoid thinking, well, the last thing I would want to do is just come out all up front, bearing all and saying, okay, this is the project, this is what it is. Because I wouldn't want to sort of take the magic of this whole thing out because the real fun of it was me playing with you guys who were very sort of complicit and then, and seemed to be enjoying it as well, mm. uh, kind of turning a blind eye to all of the obvious holes in my story whilst focusing in on the interesting and humorous bits that we could explore. Um, now, with Swift, I felt like the best way that we could establish this rivalry as scholars is if we just pretended we were real scholars. And it's amazing how, I suppose it's what you do at work sometimes. You just turn up and you have to tap into this mindset that's not your real mindset. Mm. So me and Swift were playing these characters for months and months, sending messages, arguing about noise theories. We've got reams of conversations dating back for possibly a year. It's so funny because I genuinely started to feel this uh, inner rage and resentment towards Robert Swift and his pub. What is the future of Todd Noy and the legacy of the Noy estate now? Well, um... Todd, Todd Noy exists way beyond me now. This is this is the this is the hand of a thousand players. People now order books as though I'm sure they're lying. They say like, "Oh, I just gave my last copy of On Mountains We Stand Away in Charla, and now I want to buy another book." <laughs> uh, pe pe people order books rooted in the mythology of Noy, and they come up with all sorts of kooky stories. I think uh, the future of Noy has to be more Noi classics. We might not get round to finishing the Alabaster Wars, but we can finish just about every other one. Um, you know, they're only 80 pages. It's it's in reach. But I think Wallace is going to remain a busy man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Wallace. Wallace is someone we've been trying to get in touch with. Uh, you were pretty elusive as to how we could contact him. So was Robert. Yeah. Um, who the hell is Wallace? Is Wallace a real person? Hmm. <laughs> Wallace was me originally, okay. which was why it was difficult. I'd always sort of assumed that, well, at some point I'll find a Wallace. Um, but it got to the point where the kind of knowledge required to understand Noi and the Noi uh, mythos and the Noi stories, I, I never had the time to brief on anybody on how to be a good Wallace. 
Okay. So I enlisted two other guys, Steve Penn and Matt Reynolds. We kind of take it in turns just to keep an eye on the Todnoy estate. Yeah. Um, I should possibly reveal some future plans for the Noy estate. Alexa, do you think it's time for me to reveal this one? I think it's time. Uh, What? (laughs) After we did our last interview, um, where I was still in my character as um, Todd Noy Scholar, uh-huh. I felt like, okay, I've stayed in character, it's done all right, but is this what the podcast needs? Is this what Cam needs and Alexi needs to, to, to fulfill their story? And I, I genuinely didn't know. And we'd been playing this sort of game across the oceans for this few years, just sort of playing these little tricks and trying not to get caught out. But at the same time, I had this sense that, oh, they know I'm the Todd Noy. They've got to know that I'm Wally, surely. There are the clues are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I messaged Alexi late in the night. So I was sat up uh, thinking about this sort of stuff and I saw that Alexi had popped up. So I sent him a message and said, have you got everything that you need? And he says, I think so. And then I said, well... There's kind of two stories to the noise story. There's sort of noise story one and noise story two. <laughs> Which one do you want? <laughs> and he said, well, maybe both of them. And I was thinking, oh, that seems sensible. So I started to sort of trickle out a little bit of noise story two, that being Mike Tyson. And, but I didn't want to go too far because I didn't want to burst a bubble if Alexa didn't want it bursting. And over the course of this midnight discussion, it came to the point that I thought this story needs to be told to you guys um, so that you can understand where I'm coming from and then you can decide the best way of uh, telling the story. I thought Alexi's got to see the inside of the house of Noy. He's got to come into the Noy estate and he's actually got to experience firsthand the interactions that I've been having over the last near on decade with people from all over the world that have somehow... (laughs) decided to hunt down this author and these books. So I bequeathed upon him the Noy estate and Alexi what? is now Wallace. What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm Robert Wallace now. What the hell do you mean by that? <laughs> In the last, like, two weeks since we recorded the last interview with David, he made me one of the admins of the Drago on oh Mount Smith Oh, my Stand God, page. shut up. So that's... <laughs> shut up. I guess technically when you asked me, are you Todd Noy, I guess I can say kind of. You're Todd Noy well, now. Kind of. What the hell is happening? So we... Oh, my God. We start this podcast with you... Wanting to know who Todd Noy is, and now you are Todd Noy. Eventually, I did become the man himself, I guess. Oh, I'm I'm dizzy. I think we're all Todd Noy. I think we are actually all technically Todd who Noy. Who the hell now. am I then? I'm just some schmo. <laughs> Dude, you're freaking Elizabeth Harrington, the English cellist. <laughs> <laughs> David, we gotta say thank you so much for. This gift that is Drago on Mounds We Stand, <laughs> the gift that is Todd Noy, the gift that is Swarmer. It's been the greatest privilege of like our career together and our careers creators to go on this journey that you set out for us. I'm absolutely knocked out. I feel I went through a complete roller coaster, even in the last five minutes. I am now talking to two Todd Noys. <laughs> and well, I think I'm you do yourself down there, Cam. I think there's three Todd noise here um oh my god we kind of inflated him with air and brought him to life and um if any thanks are due it's from me to you guys who 
I was just chipping away with this little project that brought me these little moments of humor and joy and something I could chat around to my friends. And then through this podcast, just following it, following it, riding the twists and turns at a point, I genuinely believe that it was Tony Noy, was Todd Noy perhaps, <laughs> or uh, I genuinely felt myself thinking like, perhaps it's these guys, perhaps, perhaps it's Rukmini. Um <laughs> Thank you. We're not the only ones that want to thank you. We've got a message from someone very special to you that want to say thank you for everything as well. David, or as your birth name, Quince, <laughs> this is Todd Noy. I just want to thank you for bringing my works to life. I don't want to think about a world that doesn't have these works in it. It's important for all of mankind, and I just want you to know that you're doing God's work. You true believer. You crusader of truth. You boy standing tall. How do you feel hearing that? Oh, just, uh, well, you'd, I think you know what word. the word is. I just feel cherished. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> well Cameron we found Drago and it turns out he's our friend we found Todd Noy and as it turns out it's goddamn you yeah I I cannot even express to you how satisfied I am with this ending <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I think the best way to close things out for us here on Finding Drago, the final round of Finding Drago, is to go back to where it all started. Drago on Mountains We Stand. That weird 87-page book with a whole lot of chapters. <laughs> Reading it again now, I'm finding a new meaning to these words. We found Drago, Alexi. But maybe it's time that we set him free. <laughs> <laughs> the bell rings to the immense satisfaction of the capacity crowd. Project A's dead eyes scan the arena. He looks back to his corner momentarily before closing in on Drago. Drago's body absorbs the first of Antonov's punches. His bones immediately ache and his muscles seize. The blocked blow had felt like a sledgehammer. But A moves with a haunting perfection and weaves into an offensive position. He dips and delivers a combo to Drago's body. Drago feels his guard helplessly sinking. The bullet-like uppercut that follows shaves the side of Drago's face. A lucky escape. Project A's face shows no signs of strain as he jabs with uncanny precision. Balboa orders that Ivan keeps moving. He focuses on A's style to find the slightest hint of a weakness that could be exploited. He lofts almost a foot taller than Ivan and seems to hang above him like a dark cloud. At the bell, he returns to his corner, where Balboa waits with some revitalizing water and words of wisdom. Ivan, he looks unbreakable right now, but you gotta keep dancing. He'll punch himself out. Just think about not getting hit. By the fifth, Ivan is anxious to close the point gap. He dangerously drops his guard and hurls his fist at A's face. Four explosive hits. Each one sufficient to send the average fighter headlong into the darkness. A staggers backwards with a shriek. Blood leaks from both of his nostrils. And then, for a moment, 
everything stops. Silence. Ivan is laid at the bottom of a clear, crystal lake, gazing up at the sun through the surface of the water. He can make out the blurred silhouette of a man on the water's edge, beckoning with the intention of rescue. The man is, without a doubt, Apollo Marvin Creed. Salvation. Drago fights to move his arms and legs to propel his body to the surface, but he's completely fucked. He hears Apollo's screams. Get up, Ivan! You can do it! Creed's arm extends deep down into the water with tremendous effort. Drago grabs his hand. As Ivan is pulled closer and closer to the surface, he begins to hear the sounds of Ebola Fafana Arena. The screams of the crowd, and most importantly, the referee. Six. Seven. Drago has been caught in the face with a biting right cross from Antonov and gone crashing into the canvas. His cheekbone is broken and blood now spills from his nose and lip. But he's still breathing. He looks over to Balboa and nods. The fight isn't over. Ivan Drago is resurrected. Hank Hillard is on the edge of his seat. Oh my word! How are these men still standing? Drago is landing every punch. Smack, bang, in the centre of Project A's face. Antonov's face is almost completely obscured by blood. Drago has pressed him back into his own corner and he's arching forwards towards the ground. He goes for the clinch, but Lance Lyon breaks. The beast beast is in in tears, tears. physically Physically and mentally destroyed. destroyed. The The referee referee has no choice choice but to end the fight. Ivan Drago has destroyed Project A. The handling team desperately tries to contain the agitated A who is spiraling. spiraling. He throws throws the men to the ground. ground. A A tranquilizer dart is finally fired at A's neck. More More embarrassment and shame for the Soviet Union. Drago raises his hands to the air. Balboa puts his arms around him. And after 15 years after 15 years of academy control, Ivan Drago is finally given a microphone. That was the final round of Finding Drago. This series is produced by me, Alexi Toliopoulos. Presented and created by me and Cameron James. Featuring Ben Russell as the voice of Todd Noy. Our theme music is by Luca Baroni-Peters. Production and sound engineering by Bryce Halliday. Our consulting producer is Anna Bronowski. And our executive producer is Tom Wright. The crew here at Finding Drago would like to thank Beatrice Barber-Skirler, Michael Matthew-Darkus, Parish Malfitano, Elliot Brissenden, Rachel Landers, Catherine Scott, Adam Sheen, the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, Henry Stone, Jared McGowan, Tim Roxburgh, Ian Walker, Jane Connors, the State Library of Western Australia, the wonderful cast of friends that provided voices for this show along the way, and of course, most of all, Todd Noy, Robert Wallace, and the Noy Estate. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.
Who's this guy think he is, Prince? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's talking about the Noy family estate, which is supposed to be up in the up in the highlands of Scotland. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, it's Robert Wallace. That's a very Scottish name. <laughs> just, just Marlon Noy and Robert Wallace working tirelessly over candlelight. We must restore the Noy works. <laughs> the people must know. Damn it, Marlon, stop messing about. We must restore your father's legacy. <laughs> <laughs>